when you hire someone and you treat them well, they will tell their friends. And I don't like taking people that are working for my competitors and getting the word out that way. But if they come and apply to my company, it becomes, you know, like the, their friend already knows what the expectation is. This is Swarfcast. I'm Noah Graff. Today's show is part two of an interview I did with Anissa Muthana, co-owner and president of Pioneer Service Incorporated, a Swiss machine shop in Addison, Illinois. Anissa says her best employees almost always come from referrals by current or past employees. Employees who have already been successful at the company usually bring in the people whose personalities and abilities best fit with the company's culture. Today's podcast is brought to you by Graf Pinkert. Looking for a screw machine, rotary transfer machine, or CNC machine? Graf Pinkert's got you covered. When you're buying any used machine, you're taking a risk. So it's important to buy from someone who knows their stuff and who is going to give you straight information about what you're buying. Graf Pinkert is a family-owned firm that's been dedicated to selling great machine tools to the turn parts industry for 75 years. It specializes in the top multi-spindle brands, including Index, Schutte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. They also sell a variety of other types of used equipment, such as CNC Swiss, CNC turning centers, and parts washers. Machine tools are complicated. If you're going to buy one, you should go to people who are knowledgeable and committed to the industry. Learn more at www.graffpinkert.com. That's www.graffpinkert.com. You have a decent amount of women working in your shop compared to elsewhere, correct? Mm-hmm. Do you know any, like, can you name any sort of percent of people that work there that are women? You never broken that down or? We were at 50%. I have two women that retired last week. One was my VP of sales and the other was someone on the shop floor. So we have less women today and we're only 31 people. 32. Only 31 people. Okay. Yeah. So having 50% would be 15 women. I think we're at probably 12. Okay. And that's everything. That's from management to shop floor. Are the women pretty spread out between the two or is it more in one or the other? No, they're spread out. They're everywhere. They're, you know. They're everywhere. Oh, you can't hide from them. 51%. Uh, You know what? I don't, I just, I care about getting a quality product to my customer. And so I want everyone that walks into my door to feel like they belong. And if it's, you know, a Latino, a guy, a lady, you know, an old white guy, like I, you know, when John Schaefer, one of my um, employees retired, I like, he was the only white guy, old white guy that worked for me. And it was so funny because we joked about it. And I don't want anyone taking offense to this because I, recognize him more than that. He was a kick-ass operator setup guy, but it was time for him to retire. And so he was always joking with me. He's like, you know, I'm the minority here. 
this is the first time I've ever been the minority. And I was like, welcome to my world. Yeah, it's good for you. My high school was 80% black when I graduated. So I, I've... It is good for you. It's not easy. But he really appreciates He says that he's never, you know, and I, I, I don't want to speak for him, but he was on, he was one of the IMTS, the when they came to interview us. He was one of the guys or people that uh, were interviewed. And he, you know, I'll quote or paraphrase what he said. And it's just like, you know, I've never worked for a woman machine shop owner and she cares and she listens and, and she just went on and on. And I honestly, like, even though him and I talked regularly, when I watched the video, I was teared up by what he said. And then I went to him and I said, you know, it was great that you talked to them. He's like, I guess they picked me because I was the only old white guy and they wanted to make sure that maybe you represent, like we have some of them here. Um, but you know, it's just a matter of him along with the young woman, along with the African-American employees that I have, they all feel like they belong. They all feel like we care about them. There's room uh, for development. There's room for growth. If you're going to work hard, you know, and you're going to come into work every day, you're going to be recognized. It's not just like, oh, okay, this is my click. These are my, you know, favorites because they look a certain way. How do you do that, though? How do you make it so people feel don't get into clicks? Yeah, so we've had clicks and we've struggled with that as well. And I have like... That's what people do. Yeah. So I have the people that have been with me the longest. I have like about six people that have been with me for 25 years plus. And then I have people that have been with me for months or a few years. And so then you have, a, you know, you have, you know, during lunch, you'll see all of this, right? But as long as it comes from the top is where I believe, like if I'm out on the shop floor, I spend just as much time with someone that's been with me for less than a year than with someone that's been with me for over 20. And it's just like, if I'm, you know, like on a hot day, I have like water bottles, I'll pass out or I'll like, you know, just stand there and like, just randomly just go by someone and say, how you doing today? How was your weekend? How's your family? And like genuinely care about them and, and, and their lives. And I feel like that that makes the, you know, the relationship and it's not like you're just a number. You're not just running a machine. Well, I mean, that's great. But how do you make them still not clicky amongst themselves? Though? So, yeah. So if I'm doing that and if I, you know, we don't make anyone do anything. We just lead by example. And so if I'm not clicky with some people, then it kind of like sends a message, an indirect message that this is the way we are. And in all honesty, because um, I would have just figured, oh, well, you're the boss. So you're, you're different than, yeah, obviously the boss is going to talk to everybody. Not necessarily. I'm a very hands-on. I'm there every day. I'm very hands-on. And I just, you know, it's just a matter of, I, I don't feel like that that's an issue today. You know, I know that we it was an issue before. I, I remember it was very painful because all the new people were like, you know, anybody new, they didn't feel like they clicked with anyone. And so it's just a matter of like, I'll give you an example, like the engineers will have lunch together. And so the quality manager and the engineers have lunch together. That's a click. They eat lunch together because they love talking to each other. They have so much in common. I'm not going to go in there and say, hey you know what, Mr. Engineer, have your lunch at 12 with the shop people. I'm not going to do that. 
Of course not. Yeah, exactly. So what what ends up happening is that when the engineers are on the shop floor and I'm on the shop floor and we're in a little huddle and we're talking and we're joking and we're getting business done, it becomes comfortable doing that. It's not just like one word answers. The huddles are more than that. And or or I'll bring up like I, I'm a jokester. Like I, I should do stand up comedian. I'm like that. Would my, <laughs> that would be my passion after manufacturing. Uh, but I like I'll joke about something or I'll kid with someone in a very respectful manner. If I'm ever borderline, it's it's about me or someone in my family and not them. Um, but that'll open up the door of people also feeling comfortable to talk. And then all of a sudden, the click isn't a click. It's just like the way that the cultural is. is like we're very, you know, open and we're a little bit laid back when it comes to that. But we're also, you know, about processes. And obviously, I don't want to make it. What like would you do if you had one guy who or girl, one man or one woman who was just... <laughs> You're, you're walking on eggshells. I can see it. No, I'm not walking on eggshells. I don't care. Okay, don't, don't, don't. Just talk freely. It's fine. I'm not. You're not going to offend me. No, I, I. If you do, you'll you'll know. <laughs> <laughs> what if you have somebody who's just being a punk, and you know that they're valuable to you, but. And, and, you know, I mean, maybe it's just something that's going on for them personally at this point in their life, or maybe it's a temporary thing, but they're messing up the feng shui of, of everything. Is that something you would get into or your HR? If anything happens in front of me, or I pick up on things like signals that people are a certain way, I've fired people that were making me a lot of money. And even my team questioned like what are you doing but it was based on principle based on how I want to run my company but then people do have bad days I've had people that had bad days and been disrespectful to me like the way they talk to me or how short they are or like the rolling of the eyes at times or the hand up in the air I've seen it I'm there every day I see it but you give people the benefit of the doubt that it's a bad day. And then in my one-on-one with them, if I have a one-on-one with them, depending on their position, I'll bring it up and I'll be like, you know what? I understand you, you or I'll ask them, is everything okay? And if they open up, great. If they don't, I'll make sure that you had a freebie. <laughs> don't let it happen again. And so, and you know what? I've been called a hard boss, a slave driver. You know, I've been called so much (laughs) jokingly and, you know, and like after they leave or after whatever is like, and I'm okay with that. I, I know what it takes to run a company. I know what I expect of myself and my team. And I'm very transparent about it. I don't sugarcoat it. I don't come through the back door. And if people aren't okay with it, I'm okay with that. I just have to move on. Okay. So as we said before, you have around half the people working there are women. You have some African-American people you mentioned. That's also a very underrepresented group in our industry. Yeah. So how are you able to attract people of this demographic and not only that, but attract high quality people to come to the company to give it a shot? I mean, you've talked about making people feel comfortable, making it a good environment for them. Okay, awesome. But if you need to get, if you're trying to get some more people and they happen to be in these groups that may not see this as an opportunity, how, how are you finding them? 
So there's the word of mouth. There's when you hire someone and you treat them well, they will tell their friends. And I don't like taking people that are working for my competitors and getting the word out that way. But if they come and apply to my company, it becomes, you know, like their friend already knows what the expectation is. And it's easier to explain to them what the expectation is and set that expectation, make sure that we're aligned. A big thing is obviously the internet. People go on to like employees, future employees or prospect employees go on our Facebook or go on our, you know, LinkedIn, depending on the position, depending on their level of interaction on social media. And so it's just a matter of really just continuously driving the fact that we're making meaningful things. You know, we care about our people. Yesterday, we went on an event, you know, we went on a boat ride, and we took all our employees with their families. And so I had a couple of people that weren't here last time that we did that because we couldn't do it last year, we did it two years ago, like literally shaking my hand and thanking me, my God, this has been great. Thank you so much. You know, that's things that some companies do and some companies don't. And it's funny because even though I invite some of my family members to come, I don't invite many of them because I want to make sure that I'm paying attention to my team and their families and getting to know them. And there's nothing like breaking bread with people. It's like just sitting down, talking. And just so, so then when they see that, they see the transparency, they see me being vulnerable even at times. I feel like I make that connection and then it's easier for them to get the word out because that they worked, they know people in the industry. And honestly, our rock stars many times are the people that have never tried manufacturing. I have an intern, I have a um, apprentice who's never been in a manufacturing facility. And he is now, he knows how to run Swiss. He knows how to run turning centers. He knows how and to- so where did he come from? COD, College of DuPage. And that's, again, goes back to the outreach. When you're- So College of DuPage and then word of mouth from somebody else, mm-hmm. they said- Well, it started at College of DuPage for him. And we were actually interviewing apprentices that applied to work for us. But it was my partnership with College of DuPage that it was a pilot program, an apprenticeship program. They're the biggest community college in Illinois. And so it's like you get all these different backgrounds. And so we had people from all different backgrounds that were interviewing for the apprenticeship program. And it was honestly, it was like one of the best hires. And I don't mind paying for his education because he's, you know, in my shop, working, learning, giving back. He actually, I have a very, I have a skeleton night shift. And right now we have someone that's going to be on vacation and he offered to work the night shift. Like, you know, who does that? So it was just like this apprentice who's knows now more than someone that has been working in the industry for a few years because he's taking the time and learning and giving back. So when you have that type of a relationship, it makes things a lot easier. The flow is better. And really, but you're saying, but what you're saying is though, it's just a lot of it is if you already have people with good experience, then you get a lot of good word of mouth. And is that yield more, you think, than just like stuff on LinkedIn or? Yes, definitely. You know, uh, there was a quality technician that I hired that loved working for us, right? Then he knew the quality manager that he worked for wasn't happy 
goes and tells the quality manager, hey, and then it turns out that one of my operators also knew the guy. And when the guy interviewed, I didn't know any of this. Uh, he was like ready to take my job offer after I met him. And I was like, so, you know, I'm asking, I'm trying to get like, how did he know about us? Like, what does he know? Like, you know, cause he had the credentials. And so the quality technician that worked for me actually ended up leaving. And the quality manager is like one of the best quality managers I've ever met. And it's just like, you know, I would have never known him if not for the technician that ended up not being a good fit for me. So you just, you don't know. It's like networking. You just don't know what door is going to open. You know, it's like when you meet someone, you may not like them at first, but you just don't know what will develop from the relationship, You what, who that person knows. And it's the same thing on your shop floor with your employees. Interesting. You know, you mentioned African-American people. Why do you think there's so few African-American people in our business? Well, I just think that there's not been exposure to that. I think that typically, you know, the white male paved the way for manufacturers. Like that's who was manufacturing until Rosie the Riveter, when the men went out to go to war, then women had to join in. And those women were the wives of those men. So it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like we were broadcasting manufacturing everywhere. But at the same time, acknowledging the fact that it has been the white male that has paved the way, that set up those old machines, that got those, you know, um, parts or whatnot, whatever uh, processes they had to go through at the time when it was old, grimy, dirty. And so now that it's very high tech and a lot more modern and cleaner, there's no reason why others shouldn't be enticed to come into this industry because we didn't really treat manufacturers very well back in the 80s and 90s. You know, they were not making lucrative, uh, you know, amount of money and they weren't being recognized like they are today. Um, and, and, and we're paying for it. I, I believe that we we really are the ones that hurt ourselves the most, overworking our people and underpaying them. And that was the industry. Why would anybody want to be part of that industry? Do you think you, you don't have to answer this if you don't want to? I, but I, it's interesting to ask people what their pay range is for employees. So our pay range is anywhere from $17 to obviously, you know, management's over six figure. So, you know, we need to be very selective. And I learned to not shy away from making money. You know, I want my doors open, but I want to be making money. And if someone, if we make bad parts, you know, a lot of bad parts or something goes wrong, I don't want my company to be on the verge of bankruptcy because margins are so tight. So there's nothing wrong with being selective on who our customers are, what industries we serve, what types of parts. And that's why I went into Swiss machining. I feel like I'm bringing more value and high precision, tight tolerances. And so I should get paid better. And in doing that, if I'm getting paid better, my team should get paid better. Sure. It trickles down. You've gotten rid of all your manual equipment, not non Only the Senos grinders. The Senos grinders are still manual. But that brings us, that's like, we're holding one to two tons tolerance on a machine that was built in the 40s. Like, it doesn't make any sense. It's manual, but it's a great add-on because we do all our bar grinding. We do all our piece part grinding. We do so we do send some stuff out when the backlog is long. But the people who do that, do you pay those people more because they're dealing with the not CNC stuff? So the non-CNC workers were making less than the CNC workers. 
But the grinding department was obviously they they are making good. I the guy that's running my grinding department's been with me for like 30 years. So it's not like he's, you know, he knows precision, he knows grinding. Well, what I'm finding is several of the people I've talked to, they pay the people that run the cam screw machines more than the people that run the CNC machines because it's more difficult and less people want to do it. <laughs> yeah. So I've, I've gotten rid of all of those. Um, it's just the grinders. And at that point, it's, I would say they bring just as much value as the CNC. There is more labor, like with the bars, I would say. But as far as um, it's not like a cam machine, it's not like, you know, multi spindles or brown and sharps. Yeah, no, no, it's it is sure. Do you have any advice for people that are, I mean, obviously it's different depending on where you are in the country and how big your shop is and not, but say you're a shop and business is pretty good now, but you're fighting to compete with others. And it seems like you've gotten a, a reputation that you've really worked on for a long time, which is reaping you benefits. Do you have some sort of shorter term thing somebody could do? Because obviously they don't have years. You don't know when how long this boom is going to last. What would you do if you were in a new place and you didn't know anybody, but you had like a good operation going, what would be a a sort of a hack you could do or a trick or. It's going to sound like a plug and it is, but it's also authentic PMPA PMPA. It's, it's your networking with your competitors. Um, Like Nick Wren, uh, very new to the industry. Jim Wren's um, son from Hudson's Crew says this association is the balance between camaraderie and competition. It is a really cool thing. It is. And when he said that, I was like, that is nailed it. Like, that's just like, that's exactly what it is. Uh, you know, during COVID, when as members, we had members that were making parts for ventilators that needed gauges. And there was one member specifically that emailed the listserv and said, I have machines that are going to go down. If I don't get this gauge, does anyone have it? He had like a dozen of his competitors, people from the listserv, willing and just was going to ship them the part next day air at their expense. Like, where do you see that? Like, like who, like your competitor is going to help you? Like, where do you see that? But that camaraderie and respect and the, the sharing of knowledge and sharing of gauges and tools and expertise. It's just like, it's an amazing thing. It is an amazing thing. And so that's what I did when I lost 90% of my business back in 2012, before we were CNC, before we became modern, I was wondering what was everyone else? How did you lose 90% of your business in 2012? Five of my top customers were bought out by a big OEM literally within six months. And so instead of being competitors, they have then became all in one. Oh, no. Yeah. And that's why you need to diversify not only your customer base, but your industries, because they were all in one little industry. What was the industry? HVAC. Okay. And so uh, motors, rotors. uh, So then what did you do? (laughs) I had to make a decision and I was on YouTube and Google and trying to figure out what do people do? And one of the things that I did is I joined the association. I remember one of the members saying, geez, your place is like so old and you got all these old machines. Where are your CNC machines? I'm like, 
I don't want any. That just sounds so complicated. I don't, I didn't want any. But at that point, I was like, you know what? I got to get out of my comfort zone. And so I was on YouTube and I saw Precision Machining. That's what I was looking for. And I saw Swiss and I went to two dealers. One uh, coincidentally had an open house, like right around when I was starting. New, New dealers. New, new or used? Uh, new machine dealers. I just, yeah, yeah. At, at that point, I didn't know what I was going to do. I just wanted to look at them. And so I went to one and unfortunately for them, they didn't treat me very well. I walked into their open house and talked to my production manager and I was like, um, can I look at your 20 millimeter machine? Because I really, you know, I've, I've seen it on um, YouTube and it like seems like a good fit for me. Uh, okay. And then they would look over by um, the other guy. And so I didn't, honestly, I didn't even take offense to it. I was like, I don't care. I, no. Why did they, did they see you as a woman in a hijab and go, well, who the hell are you? I don't know what their intentions or their perception was, but I just know what they did. And even after that. What a bunch of stupid people. I know. And to this day, they say, hi, are you buying more machines? I'm like, yeah, Stars is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and they were they were awesome from day one which ones do you have the 20 millimeters sr20s 10 millimeters all the way to 38 millimeters i had everything in between we have the 12 20r4s we have the 20r2s and threes and we have 32 millimeters 38 millimeter 38 millimeter that was a like god sent i have two of them and love them to death just like the parts that come off of that six axis plus two c axis yeah just like oh man it's just it's beautiful it's just like what comes out of that machine and the level of precision and then being like one and a half inch diameter um and not just like the small parts it's just it's beautiful and i i prefer that over my turning centers every day the turning centers i've just not i've not been as successful i have you know obviously we make cool parts off of them, but not nearly as high precision. Um, and, and even the industries we serve on those are, you know, they're okay. But the Swiss machining is all about high precision. Just it, And they've just been a great partner. I can call Star anytime. And I know they have my back. Just a couple other questions. Um, what's something that you learned in the last week? Last week? Um, I'm a big fan of uh, Seth Godin. Oh, big fan myself. Yeah, I really like him. And I love one of his blogs about it's not luck. I'm going to mess this up, but it's not anything I think new that I learned, but it's like just a confirmation of what you go through. And you just realize that, yeah, the smart people really know what they're doing. And my experience aligns to it. And so it's about showing up and it's about delivering. And it's, you know, luck is like if I'm in a situation and I got the order or I got the employee, it's not about luck. It may be once about luck, but it's not, it's about preparation. It's about giving. It's about building. It's about, you know, that. And I think that that it's constant for me. I just, I always try to develop myself, develop my skills, my social skills, my speaking skills, my leadership skills, and, and hope that that fits right with who I am and who I want to be. And, you know, it's all about creating a legacy. Now I'm in my fifties, you know, I'm now looking to look back at what I've done and what I'm continuing to do and not just make cool parts, but leave a positive impact and, and help 
people. You know, it's, it's, you know, money is great. And I've, I've had my highs and I've had my lows, but that's never the source of, you know, my happiness. And it's not been, it's not because I don't love great stuff and love to be paying off my debt or buying a nice car. Of course I love that. But knowing that I've done right by people, um, whether it's my family, my employees, my customers, suppliers, it makes me feel good. And it makes me feel like, you know, I'm on my way to better and greater things. Yeah. Anything else that you, you feel like you need to say to the people of the world? People of the world. They're all listening right now. So I want potentially I want, they could be, well, you never know. You never know. So um, this was not scripted at all, just for the record. And none of these questions were sent to me just so everyone knows, but Noah is that good of an interviewer. <laughs> <laughs> well, appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. No, this is a pleasure. I love doing this. Oh, it's so much fun talking to you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, so the uh, National Tech Conference is August and PMT P- PMPA PMPA National Tech Conference August 6th I think to 10th and then the 10th to I think 12th or 13th is I should know these dates the PMTS so I will be there. Yes, for you sure. will. And a lot of great people are going to be there and we're going to get a lot of great information. I'm one of the panelists in the continuous improvement panel. On and you're going to be the presidente soon. I am. When's your coronation? October. It's going to be an annual. They call it the coronation, right? <laughs> Inauguration. Yeah. More responsibilities, but a lot more fun. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much. And um, I look forward to talking to you soon. Same here. Thank you, Noah. From today's machining world, this is Swarfcast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to the show on your favorite app and give us a five-star rating and a review. And don't forget to tell your friends about it. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and todaysmachiningworld.com to join our mailing list, read episode summaries, and watch extended interview videos. I'm Noah Graff. My occasional co-host is Lloyd Graff. Our managing editor is Ridgely Dunn. Our audio engineer is Patricio Garcia. For information on advertising or to submit an idea for a future podcast, follow the contact information at todaysmachiningworld.com. Today's